I hope that you have made it through. Tuesday, Tuesday was tough. Tuesday was tough, but lucky for you guys, because it was tough, you get an extra episode this week. Yes. Well, you got one already, I guess. It so. was originally going to be this episode, and we thought that was just too heavy to leave you with for a whole week. So, so we're only leaving you for three days. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we'd jump in here and put something a little bit lighter fare on the table for you today. And clearly we needed the palate cleanser too, because we both brought you a little bit better stories. Yes. So here we go. This is episode... 13 and 12.5 was hard. 13 should be better. <laughs> We're easier. trying to even it out for the week. Yeah. Should yeah. be easier anyway. So, all right. You going first this week? I'm going first. Okay. Um, okay, so mine's true crime, but it does not have a murder. All right. All right. Not every crime has to be murder. It is still true crime, so we're still in the ballpark. Okay. Um, so we're going to start with Lori Erica Kennedy, who was born July 18th, 1969, in Arizona. She was very secretive about her past. She kind of told everybody, my parents are both dead, I don't have any siblings, but my child was bad, I don't want to talk about it. And that's just how she got by her in her adult life. In 1990, she never graduated high school, but she did end up getting her GED. And then she actually made something of herself after all of that struggle and went to Dallas County Community College and then graduated from the University of Texas of Arlington in 1997 with her business administration degree. In 2003, she met John Blakely Ruff in a Bible study class soon falling for him, but John actually came from a really prestigious family of socialites, so they were very wealthy, family of money, but they were really well known in eastern Texas, and she ended up having trouble fitting in with them as somebody who had not graduated high school and had just gotten her degree just a couple years ago. She was feeling unworthy. They turned up their nose at her a little bit? Not really, but I think she kind of looked down on herself. In the, like, maybe I can't fit in with them because I'm not good enough. Okay. So there was just some tension there. All that she would disclose to her, her about her past to even her husband was she was from Arizona, her childhood had been bad, there's no siblings in the picture, and her parents were both deceased. But she did mention briefly that her father had been a stockbroker but failed and lost all the family fortune along the way, and that's why she had a bad relationship with them, apparently. And that's okay. literally all everybody knew. All right. So John's mother, Nancy Ruff, tried to be supportive. And let me tell you, his family really did try. That's why I said, I don't think they ever upturned their nose at her. They really tried to bring her into the family. And she just didn't believe it was genuine? I don't know what she believed. I think she was just not interested in being a part of their family. She didn't know how to be part of a family. It probably so. Okay. Yeah. So John's mother, like I said, was supportive of her. She even went so far when they started talking about getting married eventually. His mother was ecstatic. She went out and she tried to purchase an announcement in the local newspaper, like, I'm so happy my son's getting married, and just wanted to post a quick little snippet about how they met. What a happy ad. Yeah, she was just excited for them. So when Nancy brought this up to Lori, she ended up throwing a fit and just completely said, I want no part of that. I don't want to be in the paper. I don't want to have a big wedding. I don't want anybody to know about this. Okay. So after throwing this fit, she and John actually in January 2004 just up and eloped and the only person there was the person who married them. Okay. It's kind of a kick in the face of mama. I know, yeah. So the two later moved to Leonard, Texas together and began trying for a family. She unfortunately suffered multiple miscarriages along that time, but with the help of IVF, they ended up having a daughter in 2008. So that was finally, she was living her dream. She just wanted to be a mom, she wanted a family of her own someday, and she finally got to have this. So Lori actually became super obsessed and way too protective of her daughter, which I can imagine after you've had so many miscarriages and been trying for years and years for Mm -hmm. this. 
of course, they're a little bit overprotective. Right. But she became so overprotective that she would not let anybody, including her husband, hold her daughter. And she wouldn't so much as go to the bathroom without bringing her daughter with her. She would not let anybody watch her. She was not allowed out of her sight at all times. And after multiple times of his family kind of confronting her, like, we can watch the kid for a day if you want to just go for a date night. We've actually raised these before. We've done this before. He's an adult. (laughs) He's healthy. It's all good. But she just refused. So after trying multiple times to find out now that they had a daughter a little bit about her family history, just not like to pry or anything, but John just wanted to know, is there any cancer? Is there anything we need to know for my daughter's sake in the future? Right. But Lori had had enough of this and decided that not only was she shutting down any of the investigation into her past, she was also not allowing her in-laws to even come near her daughter. No contact at all. Oh my god. So she just shut everybody out. What the hell? So obviously this caused some tension in the family. Sure. But John tried his best to kind of reason with her and they began going to marriage counseling sessions, which every single time she would shut it down and just completely not talk. Well, yeah. None of it's going to be her, of course. It's always right. everyone else around me. Is... Well, they just don't need to know. It's none of their business, so. But, like I said, that failed. This did not work. And Lori refused to budge. So in 2010, John moved back to his family home in Longview, Texas, eventually filing for divorce. Okay, that's predictable. Reasonable. The one thing I, I'm a little bit curious about, they said in all the articles that he left their daughter with her at their house. Well, she wasn't letting him participate in raising the kid right, anyway. Right, so he probably didn't really have the connection you'd want to have with your kid anyway. But So I don't really know where the daughter is the rest of this because I don't. this is the last I'm hearing about her really. Okay. So in the next few months, Lori became even more unhinged. She was often seen pacing back and forth in her front lawn by the neighbors. They noted that she and her daughter both looked really unkempt and underfed. They just weren't being taken care of okay. like, by Lori. So she then started emailing the roughs, so her, her in-laws, threatening them and just harassing them for no reason. They didn't have custody of her daughter or anything. She they're just not wanted even, to be mean. They're not even contacting her and she's... Yeah, they're literally, all they're doing is holding her husband in their house not hostage or anything. Just like <laughs> you know, she might have seen that as a they're taking my husband away type of situation. But honey, you pushed them out. That's what it yeah. comes down to. Yeah, he just couldn't live under your iron fist. Yeah. They ended up having a custody they would have custody exchanges where the court basically said you have to let your daughter spend time with her dad. That's only fair until we can figure out where she's permanently going to be. But during one of these custody exchanges she ended up going into a rage and throwing a fit throwing stuff all over the room and ended up stealing a set of keys for their house from her in-laws. Okay. And they were really worried she was going to do something here. because She stole keys from the in-law's house or she stole the in-law's set of keys to her house? She stole their keys for their house. Okay. So they were worried she was going to do something even more drastic. She had yeah. already been threatening them this entire time. Right. So. Yeah. So the roughs after this filed a cease and desist order and she was not allowed near the premises any longer. Well, they could have changed the locks too. I could have, yeah. But I'm sure they did that too. That's just legally all that was done right so on december 24th 2010 Lori parked her car in the driveway of her in-laws house and committed suicide oh my god so with the that, self- a little warning would have been i nice. know that's just good grief it was unexpected for everybody i guess holy crap so what was her method of doing that a self-inflicted gunshot oh jesus christ yeah that's why i'm saying i don't know where her daughter was so i'm assuming she was in the house with the in-laws and her husband at this point because yeah. I think they would have noted the daughter was in the back seat of this car. Like, yeah, and she was 
sending them all a message. Look, it's all of you against me, mm-hmm. so here I'm going to show you what you've done. And she was protective of her daughter. Even if she was shitty to a lot of people in her life, I don't think she would do that to her child, you right. know? Yeah. After that, they found, so obviously the in-laws discovered her in their driveway that morning. She left two suicide notes, one that was addressed to my wonderful husband, and one that she left for her daughter to be opened on her 18th birthday. The suicide note, they did open it, just made no sense. It was just nonsensical ramblings and that gave absolutely no insight into what her past was, any what has been going on, why she was acting so deranged recently. Well, she must have had some mental illness issue. Well, yeah, even that would be helpful if your daughter's got her, her genes in her, yeah. you know? Something like schizophrenia is genetic. Doesn't sound like schizophrenia. It sounds like it she's just, sounds just totally paranoid. Like she's snapping and... or something. Something went wrong here. I mean, I'm clearly not any kind of a clinical psychologist. I don't know enough even to use the right words. But, you know, but something like, was not right. If somebody with her. you cared about was showing these signs, that'd be a sign to get them help for sure. Yes, for sure. And um, I'm surprised that nobody, the therapist, I can't believe the therapist never said, hey, well, she I see talk. more here than just that you won't communicate. Like, other than what John was saying was happening, that's all they had to go off of. Okay. Is, so she would just sit there and close lip the whole session. So. Wow. It's not really... Okay. Yeah. So after her funeral, the Ruff family decided to go and clean out her home in Leonard, Texas to possibly find additional information. Maybe we can find out more about her there. Mm-hmm. So the house was clearly not taken care of. They had piles of trash everywhere, dirty dishes just in stacks along Ugh. the walls and stuff. Gross. Shredded documents everywhere, which they said documents, but in other sources I read, they were literally just notebook paper ripped out and then scribbled on. <laughs> so they just found that all over the house. Then they discovered a lockbox in her closet. Okay. So this lockbox, it contained more scribblings, and they were able to make out a few short phrases, and that's it. So they found one scribbling that said, North Hollywood Police. They found another that said, 402 months, and then another one that just read Ben Perkins, which they looked into because they're like, okay, that's a person, so maybe we could search who Ben Perkins is, and they ended up discovering Ben Perkins is, I don't know if he's still practicing now, but at the time he was a Los Angeles attorney. So they're thinking, okay, maybe she had some legal trouble and she was thinking about maybe it was in North Hollywood because she wrote North Hollywood Police. So, But then they contacted Ben Perkins who had never heard of this woman before, and in fact was, he was a black attorney, and he only represented black clients who had some kind of injustice. So that's, he was like, why would I have helped this random woman from Texas that's not even part of what I'm fighting for? Right. So that came to be like, me nothing in the end. Okay. So, they also in the lockbox- I wonder how she even had his name, though. I don't know. 2010, so I guess Google, maybe, but- Okay, so just randomly Google Random the search. name of an attorney who represents, represents a specific clientele, and you're not part of that clientele, so... Yeah, I don't that's, know. That's very bizarre. All right, yeah. continue. So they also in the lockbox found a birth certificate for somebody named Becky Sue Turner, and as well as a court document granting a name change from Becky Sue Turner to Lori Erica Kennedy on July 5th, 1988. Wow. So they're like, oh, this Becky Sue Turner must be who she actually is. Right. Obviously, police began tracking that information and discovered that Becky Sue Turner was actually pronounced dead in 1971. She had been two years old at the time, so about the same age as Lori was, but she had died in a house fire in Fife, Washington in 1971. Oh, wow. So somehow Lori had gained her birth certificate. 
That's wild. And so they're like even more confused. So she's now. neither of these people. So she's neither of these people. She got all they know is that at one point she was going by Becky, who was dead, and then she changed her name in nineteen whatever eighty eight to Lori. Right. So she was nineteen when she changed her name. Mm-hmm. Yep. They wow. then ran Lori's fingerprints because they're like, what the hell? So they ran those through the national database. Nothing came back. They then did face recognition software, ran that through the national databases. Again, nothing came back. So the family requested help from Joe Velling in 2011, who worked for the Social Security Administration. He ended up following lead after lead, but was empty-handed still in 2013. He, people would be like, I think this person ran away at such and such age, maybe it's her. And then he'd come back to it at the end and be like, no, it's not her. So Wow. So it went cold. Finally, in 2013, he asked for help. From the public. Web sleuthing is becoming a thing now. There's nothing else I can do here, so maybe somebody will know something. June 22nd, 2013, in the Seattle Times, he released a huge tell-all article about, this is what we know, please help us if you know anything. And one person who saw this article named Colleen Fitzpatrick, so she was a geneticist of some sort. Okay, got it. So she saw this article and contacted John to be like, hey, can I get you and your daughter to submit DNA samples to me and maybe I can do what I do and figure something out with that. Right. So she did. She got DNA samples from both of them and what she did is basically, I'm explaining it in layman's terms because I am not a genesis. <laughs> How I understood it was she took the daughter's DNA, subtracted everything that matched John's, and then what was left is what she started sure. to study. Mm-hmm. And in that, she submitted it to one of the genealogy websites, not sure which one, but she found a first cousin directly matching that DNA by the last name of Cassidy. But apparently the first name was a really common one, so they had trouble contacting this person. They contacted them on the website, and they never responded. Right. Well, people don't usually check into those things very often. Yeah, you do it once, you see what you can find, and then maybe check in another five years. I might look at my ancestry DNA contacts like once a year. Yeah. So. Well, this went on for many years after this, though, so it's still. So then they went back to the drawing board with the genes, and they ended up identifying another cousin, this time a third cousin, in Pennsylvania. So Colleen Fitzpatrick, the one who'd been doing all this DNA work, found this third cousin and contacted Joe Velling, the person who worked with the Social Security Administration. And even though he had retired by this point, I think it was 2015, mm-hmm. that she contacted and said, mm-hmm. we have a match and they're willing to meet with us. So Joe flies all the way out there to Pennsylvania and just to meet the family and confirm at all their what proof they might have. Okay. And there, they finally confirmed that Lori Ruff was, in fact, actually named Kimberly McLean. And so six years after her death, 2016... Is it McLean or McLean? It's M-C-L-E-A-N. It's probably McLean. It's so like, I go back and forth every time. Well, it was Tim McLean, so I would go with McLean. Yeah, but I just assumed that was Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, we actually had a name. We had an identity. So Kimberly Maria McLean was born October 16th, 1968 in Philadelphia to mother Deanna Cassidy and father James McLean. In 1986, at the age of 17 years old, she had been fighting with her mother and stepfather, so she decided to run away. Okay. They had some people who met her in the late 80s, early 90s-ish, when she was going by Becky, and they said she had done some sex work and stuff like that just to get money and get by, because it's hard when you have 
even graduated high school to make a living on your own for the yeah. first time. So. And you're living under an assumed name that was stolen from a baby who died in 1972. Yeah, yeah. So we are still not sure how she found out about Becky Sue Turner, but they kind of guessed maybe she hired an identity broker which is somebody who does that professionally, usually legally with witness protection or a secret agency type of thing. But Well, back in the 80s, it was a lot 80s. easier to get documentation. Oh, All yeah. you needed was a birth certificate. Yeah, pretty much. And so. if you had one, then you didn't tip them off that it was... Not valid, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was no way to know. It's not like it had your picture on it. Yeah, and she definitely, <laughs> she used that to her advantage because she ended up finding out about Becky Sue and her death in 1971 and that she was about the same age as her. So, well, born around the same time as her. And so she traveled to Becky's home place in California and requested a copy of the birth certificate, which apparently they'll give out to anyone <laughs> in the 80s. But in 1988, she got that copy of the birth certificate. So she then took that and had moved to Idaho, where she used the birth certificate to obtain a state ID. Okay. So she then took that and moved to Dallas, Texas, where she was approved by a judge for her name change to Lori Erica Kennedy, and which in turn got her a new social security number as well as she got her driver's license around that time as well. Okay. So. So they gave her a new social security number or she just didn't have one at all before then? I think she kind of was like, well, I need a new social security card because my name is different. Oh, card, yeah. And so that came with the number on it. Okay. So, so yeah, she used that to obtain her GED and then later go on to college and marry her. John, at the end of the day, why did Kimberly McLean go through all of this trouble? Unless maybe she was hiding out from her family. We don't really know what was so terrible about her childhood. I don't claim to, that it wasn't worth running away from. Probably if she had these many issues later I, on in life. I was going to say, I, I'm sure that her mental health had something to do with her inability mm-hmm. to get along with her family. Yeah. Because she couldn't get along with her new family either. And she pushed everybody who cared about her away, so... Yeah. And how has she managed to hide it for so long? Still no clue. Again, probably attributed to the fact that it was in the 80s and things were a little bit easier without the internet and stuff like that to yeah to fake. But It's harder to track people down. But to this day, no one's sure. And she's gone, so. <sighs> well, the good thing is that hopefully the daughter mm-hmm. may have been able then to get to know her yeah, like grandparents. Yeah, like I said, they at least, but I think... Their, her parents really were dead by this point, by the time oh, she died. Oh, that's too bad. So, kind of sounds like they died while she was, like, in her 20s or 30s. But she at least has contact with her cousins and her, like... So, did she oh. have brothers and sisters? Not that I found. I don't think so. Yeah, so, that's the story of Kimberly McLean, a.k.a. Lori Erica Ruff. A.k.a. A.k.a. Somebody a. in the middle. Yeah. Becky was... Sue. Oh, you get the point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, what... What do you have? Well, I thought I would, you know, based on what we said earlier, after the heaviness Uh, of the organ donation (laughs) episode, which really, I mean, like we said at the end, it was a good thing in the end, but it was really a heavy one. It's a good thing that has to start in a bad place. It was really hard on us recording that, and Mm -hmm. so I can't imagine it was fun for people to listen to. We both drank copious (laughs) amounts of wine after that. Oh my gosh. So, anyway, I thought I would go for far lighter fare today, and I decided on crime-fighting cats who saved the day. (laughs) Some of these, I've got to give you a disclaimer. A couple of them are not actually crime-fighting cats, but they were, you know, I thought they kind of fit in with the the theme, so. As long as you have one crime, we'll take it. (laughs) Binky the cat, whose person is Cynthia Coots in Indianapolis, Indiana, is a friendly cat. He is laid back and sweet. He plays with children and relatives. 
and was never known to growl at anybody until one night when Cynthia heard a noise outside. Then soon she heard somebody trying to break in her front patio window. When she went to find out what was going on, a man outside the window was trying to convince her to let him into the house, making up a story about men trying to shoot him. Well, I don't know why Cynthia would want to let a guy in when people are chasing him and trying to shoot him. What'd you do to have them after you? (laughs) Damn. (laughs) So Cynthia refused, at which point the man shoved his hand through the window. And the moment that Earl Scruggs' hand broke the plane of the window, that's really going to hurt his guitar playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard no. of him. Lester, Lester like... Flatt and Earl Scruggs. They were country western musicians decades ago. Mm, no, no. So anyway, the moment that Earl Scruggs' hand broke through the plane of the window, Binky went into attack mode. Binky, unfortunately, <laughs> had long ago been to Claude. Poor guy. So his swipes at the man were not helpful, but Binky sunk his teeth into Scruggs' arm. Mm-hmm. As Cynthia said, Binky blew up like a balloon and got him again. She, meanwhile, had been calling 911, and just as the burglar decided he wasn't going to get past Binky, he turned and he took off, running right into the police that were coming out behind him. The cuts on Scruggs' hand were bad enough to require medical attention. Mm-hmm. Go, Binky. And what a blow to your man card to get <laughs> taken down by a cat named Binky. That's hilarious. A Salisbury, Maryland cat was very attentive to something that was going on outside the home of his person, and at 1 a.m., he couldn't take it anymore. The cat meowed until he woke up the homeowner, kind of like our cat has been doing the last few days. Or years. Wow. <laughs> the cat meowed until he woke up the homeowner who looked outside to see a thief stealing items out of his car. The homeowner didn't confront him, but he called police, who arrived in time to arrest Jamie Rewark out inside of a neighbor's car. He was caught after a short foot chase, but if not for the annoyed cat, he probably would have gotten away with it. So he was meaning to break into the car? He was breaking into the car. I just, when you said it was a neighbor, for some reason I assumed, oh, he must be drunk and just got into the wrong car. (laughs) No, he was, no, he was inside the neighbor's car. Okay, I gotcha. Breaking into that car then, because he was already done breaking in. Car hopping, basically. There you go. Yes, I got Car hopping. Car hopping instead of bar hopping. (laughs) All right. Next one. You've possibly seen the video of Tara the Cat. Have you seen that one? Who stood up to a vicious dog to save her family's little boy, Jeremy? I think I have. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy was riding his bike in the family's driveway when a neighbor's dog, fortunately it wasn't a huge dog, but it was a dog, Mm -hmm. ran up and started to bite the little boy. Tara the cat immediately jumped into action and attacked the dog, kept it at bay, and chased it back down the street. And I have seen that video, and it's pretty freaking awesome. She then returned to check on Jeremy. The whole incident was caught on the family security camera, which is why most people have already seen that. Yeah, and this is why we keep our cats clawed. Yes, that's right. We would, I would never declaw a cat. Never. Mm-mm. Masha the cat in Russia found a 12-week-old infant who had been abandoned in a box outside on a frigid day. When Masha wouldn't leave the box when called by her person and instead just continued to stay in the box and cry loudly, she was trying to get someone to come over to the box, so her person finally came to the box and found the infant inside. Masha had been refusing to leave the box because she was physically warming that baby to keep him from freezing to death. The baby was taken to the hospital and he was in good health thanks to Masha. But he certainly would have died out there in that what cold. A sweet kitty. Yeah, oh. she was. She was like, "Look, this isn't my little person, but he's my responsibility until somebody comes and gets." And him. that's so rare. I feel like that you hear of cats using their warmth for somebody else because usually they're going for the warmest person in the room. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. 
This is not crime related, but Wendy Humphreys in the UK was getting bruised because every time she would sit down on a chair, her cat Fidge would jump up and forcefully pound against her right breast. Mm -hmm. After a few weeks of this, Wendy went to the doctor who detected a lump in that breast. Mm -hmm. Wendy underwent treatment immediately for breast cancer and believes that Fidge could smell the cancer and that this saved her life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, and I know that there are animals that are trained to detect you know smell changes in the in the human like body dogs usually and a similar situation is that ironically a cat named pudding saved the life of his diabetic person <gasps> when she went into a diabetic seizure during her sleep he jumped on her chest and he nipped and pawed at her face in an attempt to wake her up she was awakened and she called for help and pudding subsequently went through some training to smell for changes in his person's blood sugar and he alerts her when it's getting too low. So she doesn't have that diabetic seizure situation come on again. What a smart cat. I mean, I know most cats are pretty smart, but what a gentle smart cat because to yeah. actually pay attention and learn. That's right. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. A woman named Tess had a toddler named Zara and a cat named Duchess. Duchess was starting to act very strangely, more vocal and seemed more vigilant than was typical for her. Thinking the cat had a medical problem, Tess had Duchess checked out by the vet, and all was fine with the cat's health. But apparently, all was not fine with the house. One night, Tess, who had been acting weird recently, was awakened. Sorry, that's not true. <laughs> Tess is the human. I was going to say, <laughs> the cat's like, yo, that's my gig around here. <laughs> you don't get to do that. One night, Tess was awakened because Duchess, who had been acting strangely lately was on the bed hissing and growling, and Tess had no idea why. Upon turning on the light to figure out what was going on, Tess was horrified to see a six-foot python on the bed curled around the arm of her toddler. <sighs> so all of the behavioral changes had been taking place because Duchess was aware that this snake was in the house, and she was trying to warn her people. Oh, so it had been there for days. It had like, been there for a few days, and she God, was detecting it in all these different locations. Where did you say that was? Oh, God. I think it was New Zealand. But I was going to say, it has didn't... to be like New Zealand, Australia, somewhere like that. Because... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write down the location, but it seems like it was New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Homer is a skinny, blind cat who started life with a terrible eye infection, alone on the streets of Miami. He was adopted by a woman named Gwen. Homer was normally very easygoing and relaxed, but one night Gwen awoke to Homer on the bed with her growling. And Gwen realized that there was an intruder standing in her bedroom. Oh God. Homer, who was a tiny little cat, like Daisy sized. Mm -hmm. Tiny little cat. And remember, he's blind. He doesn't have eyes say, at all. Sure. His eyes have been removed as a baby. Launched himself across the room to attack the intruder that he couldn't even see. The man was caught totally by surprise, and he fled. So little teeny weeny special needs Homer. You're going to make me cry on this one, too. <laughs> I just think that's amazing that that brave little blind cat I know. jumped across the room and chased that guy away. Who and knows you know what, what he was going to do? That cat knew what it was like to struggle and knew that this person, goddamn, was going to cry, <laughs> loved him so much. Yep. God. Yeah, I... um. 
I had some dog ones too, but I decided to save them for another episode sometime. Okay, great. Sometime when I've <laughs> been too heavy on the previous episode. But some of those are really, really awesome too. In Florida, little one-year-old Gizmo saved five people when an oven mitt in the kitchen caught on fire by climbing on her person's pillow and meowing until he awoke and was able to put the fire out. She has been rewarded with never-ending treats. Her person says that she gave him one of her nine lives, which she clearly did because they all would have burned to death. Holy crap. So this one's not really the cats doing anything, but they still helped thwart the crime. Okay. Daniel Velopatino is a Florida man who had been up all night taking drugs with a friend. When Daniel decided he could pay back a debt of $2,000 that he owed to his mother by stealing $6,000 from this friend who was asleep, he took the money and he left. Well, that's just greedy. He didn't even need all that. He didn't. He only needed $2,000. Huh? And probably stealing it isn't the best way to pay back a debt. Yeah, yeah. Almost immediately, he crashed his car into a police cruiser. <laughs> now the police were chasing him, and he led them on a high-speed chase, eventually ditching the car and fleeing on foot. Mm-hmm. Trying to get out of sight, he broke in through a sliding glass door in Boca Raton at the home of the Noonan family. Candace Noonan was just starting her day still at home and was surprised to find Velopatino in her house. He told her a story that he was mowing the grass of the next door neighbor and he really just needed to have a glass of water. Well, that sounds like bullshit to First me. First thing in the morning? <laughs> and there's no mower and he just walked into her house. So yeah, I'm thinking she doesn't really believe this. But she went to get him a glass of water, hoping that, you know, he'd take it and leave. Take the water, drink it and get out of here. But when she came back, he was sitting on the floor playing with her cats And he was just sitting down there wasting time petting the cats rather than getting out of the house and back on the run. So she called the police and her husband. A few minutes later, her husband walked into the house, which alarmed Velopatino and caused him to run out of the house. He was caught when he jumped into a nearby canal and it was fished out by police boats. The article that I found on this was by Lori K. Olson in 2015, and she titled it, Fleeing Felon Foiled by Felines. (laughs) (laughs) but if i were a criminal i would get caught the same way yeah if there are kitties they must get pets Mm -hmm. (laughs) an omaha nebraska front porch parcel thief you know the ones they steal people's packages off their porches Mm -hmm. was foiled adam case had a ring camera and caught on camera a woman who arrived eight minutes after ups dropped his big package off humorously as she picked up the box and started to make off with it the outer box collapsed the bottom broke out and two 40-pound boxes of cat litter fell out onto the sidewalk. (laughs) So the woman dropped all of it. She's like, hell's bells, I can't even carry this, and sprinted back to the waiting truck with her getaway driver in it. But the ring camera got a very good picture of her, and when she's caught, cat litter will have been her downfall. And one more from New Zealand. In New Zealand's Auckland Police Force, according to Detective Keppel Richards, there is a new secret cat division with a specialist search cat named Arnold. Cat burglars beware. People have been invited to send their cat photos to the police division for consideration to be added to the secret cat division. Mm -hmm. Auckland's Channel 1 News is telling lies and saying that the secret cat division is only a bit of fun and not real. Bite your tongues, Channel 1. I have photos of Arnold in his police harness. Oh my god, you do? Jeez, yes, it's adorable. Oh, I cannot (laughs) wait for this. (laughs) And that is the end of my Hero Cats episode. Not plus... Let's be honest. Plus would just be like, give me pets or get the fuck out. 
Or she would just keep meowing until you gave her what she wanted. Mm-hmm. So She's I hope like, that another I... toy? Another toy? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I redeemed myself after the yeah. last episode. Yes. Have you seen that video? You kind of reminded me of a, a little bit of the cat. He set his tail on fire. Oh, God. No, it sounds horrible. I know. It I is was... horrible. That's terrible. No, he set his tail on fire. He was, like, walking on a coffee table, and they had a candle lit. Oh, God. And so you could see the person just oblivious walking by the door in the background the whole time. But the cat walks by the candle, and this tail, he's, like, fighting with the dog at the edge of the coffee table, and the tail just whacks into the candle, and just the end gets set on fire. So it slowly starts spreading. Oh, no. And, they, like, up the tail... I'll show it to you later. You'll laugh, but be like, the whole time. I'm like, whoosh, now. <laughs> but the dog, the whole time, is like, oh, God. Like, he's looking around for the human, like, I should go get them. And then the cat is just staring at its tail, like, so unbothered. He's just like, oh, dear. <laughs> um, but it's so funny. And eventually, it just goes out by itself. Like, all it did was, it didn't even burn the tail skin. It literally just burned the fur off and then stopped. That's so wild. Isn't it crazy? But they caught this whole thing on their living, one of the cameras that you have in your house. They just caught that on one of the cameras. Wow. She didn't even know until she came back to the room. I was like, what does that smell? <laughs> oh, oh, I bet it stunk in there. Yeah. Holy but I'll, show, I'll show it to you. Maybe I'll upload that to our Instagram, too. But... Burning hair is one of the worst smells. Oh, yeah. The few times I've done that with my curling iron wow. and stuff. That poor hotel room after I burned off my oh hair. Oh my god, that was awful. What were you, 12? I was 12. We were on a trip to... We were in Pisa that night. We were in Pisa the first night. We, we took a, a week in Italy mm-hmm. when Bailey was 12, and we were in Pisa, and then we were going to travel to Rome. Uh-huh. But it was our first night in Italy, and I was not aware that I needed a power cord converter thing to plug into the wall so i just tried plugging in my regular u.s curling iron or whatever it was it's a straightening iron. it was a straightener yes you're right but i tried plugging into the italian ports and i had my own room at this point too so mom wasn't there to tell me bailey that's bad (laughs) but my my straightener started going (laughs) like i remember that noise and be like huh i've never done that before and so i immediately started straightening my bangs Oh my god. And it got oh my stuck god. to it my hair. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. And you came in and you were in such a panic. And I'm like, <laughs> in, internally, I'm also in a panic. But I'm thinking, oh shit, I've got to do something for this poor kid. Because yeah. when you're 12, the worst thing in the world. I was a freshman in, in high school. I didn't want to go back to school with fried off bangs. The worst thing in the world is to have something about your appearance that you know people are going to notice. Aww. So, I'm, well, I think... We got it unplugged and, and made sure we didn't set Mom the hotel threw that into on the bathtub fire. or something like that. And then I took, I think we, I went in and I got the conditioner, the leave-in conditioner. And I, no, it was just regular conditioner because that was all I had. But I just took like a handful of it and glopped it onto your forehead. And then you said, "See, it'll be fine in the and morning. I'm like, it'll be just fine. leave it on there all night." And I don't remember what we did about dinner that night. But... We got room service. I remember because I really wanted. <laughs> Real authentic um, tiramisu. I wanted tiramisu, and but we, that was a few days later in Rome. No, that yeah, I, we ended up getting caprese. Caprese? caprese. I never said that right. Caprese salad. But it was tomatoes and mozzarella of some sort. Yeah, that's the caprese. <laughs> that's caprese. But yeah, it was fun oh time. Oh my god, what a, what an awful story that was! But it's funny in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More awkward stories from Bailey's childhood coming to you soon. Oh, great, we have two this week now. 
two awkward stories what was from my like? teenage years the time I passed out the red cross and then you posted my <laughs> right. my drooling picture onto Facebook and then yeah, a couple so you years can post, earlier where and you could post it on Tuesday after oh, yeah. the episode I oh. can't wait for that <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that we have left you in a better place than we did on Tuesday. And tune back in next Friday for more awful stories. We will <laughs> go back to our regular scheduled. A little bit of an update. We have we've been spending so much time trying to do content creation that we up until now we had only been on Instagram, but we have now gotten on Twitter. We we have like zero followers on there so far because we literally <laughs> just got on there today. But if you would come and find us there, we could. Do you know our handle? It's True Crime B and B. Okay, it's the same thing. <laughs> same thing as usual. Yeah. All right. Well, well fortunately, there are no imposters okay. out there. <laughs> Nobody yeah. knows about well, us to be. But anyway, so find us at. Instagram at True Crime BNB. Find and us at Twitter, True Crime BNB. And also, if you could just take a second out of your day and rate and review on wherever you listen to podcasts, really that makes a difference, and we would be really so grateful. Appreciate it. Yes. That's our episode for this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.